Please remain standing if you are able for the reading of God's word. Our text this morning is Daniel chapter 3. I'm just going to read the key verses beginning in verse 16. This is the story of the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us this stand-up faith with the pressures of our culture to bow the knee to other idols. And I pray that we would stand with both feet planted in Christ, with peace at heart, with joy of soul, because we know that no one can snatch us away from your hand, and you have set life before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is my favorite Bible story of all time. And it's probably because I remember it's one of my earliest memories that my father would tell the story of the fiery furnace. And at the end of it, he would say, so that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. It's also a favorite because it, it so connects with where we are in the pressures of culture around. And there's, there's drama in this story. And there's uh, a clarity about uh, how we should trust in God and how God is with us, even if he allows the fiery furnace, the, the difficulties, uh, into our lives. Now, with the beginning of our study of Daniel in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to honor uh, the you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with other elite young people, and to give them privileges and training. And in that context, we talked about creative faithfulness because the honor that God gave to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually was an honor that brought some difficulty of faith. It violated their Old Testament dietary laws, and they could have called on this kind of stance that we see in Daniel chapter 3 and just said, we cannot, O king, accept your offers. But the king wasn't trying to break them down, wasn't trying to test their faith and break their faith. He was trying to honor them. That's a time for creative faithfulness. So I would ask you to think about the pressures on you. Is it pressure that comes from a circumstance where others are, are wishing you well and trying to honor you, but it brings you into conflict with what God calls you to be and to do? That's not a time to stand and shoot other people down. It's a time to think, how can I honor God and have a creative alternative in being faithful. But don't apply that to this uh, message in this chapter. Because if you think, well, here's creative faithfulness. I'll bow on the outside, but I'm not going to bow on the inside. That's not creative faithfulness. That's rationalization. Last week, Daniel was in an impossible situation. But it wasn't a situation of persecution, per se. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he told all of his uh, court attendants, all the wise men in his courts, all of his counselors, he said, I've had a dream and it's troubling me. 
You tell me the dream and you tell me the interpretation or I will kill you. That's impossible. And Daniel was included along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the court attendants. And when he heard about it, he knew that no one could do what the king was asking them to do. And he prayed to God. God gave him the interpretation. He gave him both the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And God miraculously, marvelously delivered them from that impossible situation. If we stopped there and thought that's the only counsel we get from scripture, we might assume that God will always deliver us from the impossible situation. So we step into this next chapter and we have the story of the fiery furnace. And the very drama of this story is that God didn't deliver them from the fiery furnace by preventing them from having to go into it. Let's read the story. And as we read the story, I want you to be asking yourself this question. What idol does our culture erect and demand we bow down to? What idol does our culture erect and demand that we bow down to? We're a little more subtle and sophisticated than a 90-foot tower in the capital city that everybody has to go and actually physically bow down to. But our culture has an idol And it demands allegiance and worship to it. Let's look at Nebuchadnezzar's threat, beginning in verse 1 of the chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, the way they would make a statue like this, Isaiah 40 talks about how craftsmen make the image and goldsmiths overlay it with gold. So it's not solid gold. It's a statue that's overlaid uh, with gold. I used to think that uh, as I was growing up that the king made a statue of himself. But as you read the text, and some commentators go that route, but as you read the text, it's more likely that what the, a Babylonian king would do would, ra- would be to raise a statue of his God that he saw as his patron God. And he would call on everyone to bow down to it. That's verse 2. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So Nebuchadnezzar could feel like, I'm being pious. I'm not self-glorifying. I'm asking everybody to worship the image of my God. But the practical effect of it was, if you didn't bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar's God, you were rejecting Nebuchadnezzar and you were in trouble with him. It was real pressure. Nebuchadnezzar's threat was this. Verse 4 and following, the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, consider the pomp and circumstance. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, there are actually three Hebrew words here. A furnace, you know a furnace is something that burns things up. A furnace of fire, that's repetition, a furnace of fire burning. That's just the actual translation of the Hebrew word. Some translations say 
into a blazing, fiery furnace. And that's, that's probably the best translation because you have this threefold emphasis. Whenever you find three repetitions in the Hebrew mind, consider it the ultimate emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. A blazing, fiery furnace. So that's the threat. Therefore, uh, verse 7, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, harp, uh, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We know the command. We know the threat. We know the consequence of disobedience to the command. Now, it's not mentioned yet that there were those who refused to do it. Let's read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith. The first place, they didn't go and stage a protest. They didn't go and put it in the face of King Nebuchadnezzar. You can't do this. Nobody else can do this. They just didn't do it themselves. But others noticed, and antagonists pointed it out and attacked them. Verse 8 and following. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. That's the way I'm going to read it from here on out. The threefold, blazing, fiery furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, where's Daniel in this? He's not mentioned. I think the most likely scenario is he's been given responsibilities for the whole kingdom. And he just happens to be traveling out of town. That would account for it. I don't think it's reasonable to think that the Daniel we know from this book would have capitulated and bowed and it was only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't think that's possible. Some commentators have thought in the list of those that Nebuchadnezzar was saying bow down to the uh, image that Daniel was over all. He was in a higher station, so it wasn't commanded of him. But the, the whole thrust of it is that everybody's going to bow down to this. So the most reasonable explanation is that Daniel happens to be out of town. There's a lesson to be learned from this. Because Daniel is the hero of of this book. He's the top leader. He's the most faithful. And yet, God chose to allow this test when he was out of town. How do you feel when the one who you would trust to, to be able to handle something, to be your leader, is out of town, not available? These are the second tier down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they didn't go into an angst and say, oh, no, what, what do we do? We've got to wait till Daniel gets back. They are committed in faith as well to the Lord God. You see, your faith doesn't depend on your pastor. Our faith doesn't depend on the politician who's protecting us. We are to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and resolve that we have both feet, feet planted in Christ. And we feel the pressures of our culture. And there may or may not be somebody alongside who can speak for us when there's not. We need to be ready and able and willing to stand. Let's look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's uh, test of faith. In verse 
13, now that they are pointed out, and I do think that in our culture we have more and more circumstances where there may be those who go around and test churches. People who would visit churches not for the purpose of seeking God and seeking to worship, but to go around and test churches to see, do you conform to the idols of our culture? Keep it before you. What is that idol that our culture erects and demands that we bow down to it? There may be those who come around and say, is this church conforming? If not, we will point it out and we will raise the heat on them. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? He didn't say that you don't worship me. He might have thought he was right and pious to honor the gods in this way. And he was furious that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't following his lead and doing what he thought was the right thing. See, it doesn't mean that he has to be uh, filled with contempt and disdain and and uh, self-glorification to be the persecutor. He thought he was doing right by the gods. And he was furious with them. But he gives them a chance. He says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. Aren't I magnanimous? You got another chance. But the pressure's on. Bow the knee. Or, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing, fiery furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He shows his claws. He shows his teeth. Because he's not really being pious and trusting in the gods. He's the final authority. He's the big power. What God could save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from his wrath, his anger, his fiery furnace? See, at at heart, he's the ultimate. And he's facing off with the true and the living God. He might not realize it, but he's facing off with God himself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king... Oh, we don't know what to do. We were so torn in the spirit. Oh, please. You know, I, I, this is what I want to do, but I, but, I, but I really can't. And what about our families? Do they go into this angst? They don't. I was talking with Mike just about music for this week. And a lot of music, a lot of Christian music is about, there's something honest about the angst that we, when we feel doubts and we feel anxieties within our souls. And there's there is a a proper place for not just putting on the plastic face and denying the angst that is inside. And as music expresses that, that can have its place and, and be wonderful. But that's not where we want to land. We don't want to have one foot in with Christ and another foot in with the world and be torn inside about what should we do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have a problem with how to respond. They had both feet planted in faith in the true and the living God. And they just said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Now, there's something subtle in this verse. 
we think of deliverance from whatever the fiery ordeal that God might allow into our lives, that deliverance is protecting us from having to go into it. When we get the news that uh, we have a terrible, it doesn't have to be persecution. It can be all sorts of fiery furnaces. When we get the news of a terrible uh, illness that we might have a cancer or something, what do we pray? We pray, oh Lord, please, please deliver us from this, meaning don't let us go into it. And that's not an improper prayer. Jesus himself taught us to pray and lead us not into testing. That word translated temptation there means testing. With every test is a temptation. We don't feel sufficient in our strength to survive whatever tests God would throw at us. We're humble before him and say, lead us not into testing. Don't test us, O Lord. Protect us. So that's a proper prayer, but it's not the ultimate prayer. The ultimate prayer is what Jesus prayed, your will, not mine, be done. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, God will stop you from throwing us into the fiery furnace. The verse says, if we are thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Save us from it when we're in it. You know, our our biggest problem is our mortality. Something happens early that's tragic, an accident or an early illness. It's an interrupted life or we experience a full life and it hits us at the end. That's our our biggest problem. The world can hasten that with persecutions and testings. We're going to take your life from you if you don't bow down to our our idols. That's where martyrs come from. But the Christian faith says, you, you can put me in that fiery furnace. You can take my life from me, but you can only take my body. You cannot take my soul. The worst you can do to me is send me to heaven early. Woo! Tough. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had worked it out that they were the Lord's. Both feet were in in faith in him. And they had a peace about the test. It doesn't mean we don't struggle in life. We do. But that's not our goal. Our goal is just to say, Lord, I'm yours, and you won't forsake me in the furnace. You'll deliver us. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith. And then there's an addition. They know... They say, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. They know the king's probably thinking, you think your God can stop you, stop me from throwing you into the fiery furnace? That's what you think of as rescue? So they add, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know, when we get bad news and we enter a stage of grief, one of the stages of grief is bargaining. It's like, oh, God, if I do this, if I do this, you'll protect me from it, right? If I do this, then you you won't let this happen to me. That's a a stage of, of grief. But actually, we can say to God, I know you'll always be with me. If I'm thrown into this fiery furnace, you won't forsake me. I will not be snatched from your hand. You will be with me. I do pray that you would not lead me into this. Jesus taught us to pray like that. But even if you do, I won't cave. I will trust in you. So what Job said, even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's grown-up Christian faith. Do you, do you have that? Well, 
Nebuchadnezzar makes good on his promise, on his threat. Now, beginning in verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. You didn't think it was bad before? Boy, he was, it's like, I wasn't angry until now. His attitude changed. I think he expected that they, with his newfound threat, that they would make good and they would bow. When he realized they were not going to, he, he went seven times as hot and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the, the blazing fiery furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing fiery furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Oh, the point is made that it's, we can't just read this and say, well, you know, they thought that furnace was hot, but it really wasn't. So bad. They, they were able to stand it for a little while and the king called them out. It was so hot it killed the people that threw them into the furnace. No, make no mistake about it. And this is a miraculous, marvelous deliverance of God. So uh, when we, the King Nebuchadnezzar is the first to see how God amazingly delivers. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet with in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, this is not a full expression of faith in Christ, but Nebuchadnezzar is seeing Christ. It's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And he is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar cannot account for it, but he knows that this is one who looks glorious. It is when we are in the fire and we have both feet planted in Christ and we just party with him, to put it that way. I know that's being flip about it. But you know, the most astounding faith is when the, the person you know, from the sick bed or the person who's been hurt and rejected by someone who ought not to have hurt or rejected them can say, I'm at peace because of God, my Savior. I can forgive because Christ has forgiven me. I can trust God in this circumstance because I know that I am his and he is mine and there is glory set before me. It's when it's darkest that the light is the brightest. That's why it's such a cliche. It's true. So when God allows you to be thrown into some fiery furnace, it's when it counts the most. It's when others can see. How can you respond that way? And they can see Christ with you, so to speak. Maybe not as, as miraculous and tangible a way as Nebuchadnezzar did see that fourth figure. But they can see. Christ with you. So Nebuchadnezzar, um, Nebuchadnezzar then, I'm in verse 26, approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. He now recognizes God. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire 
and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. When you've been burned, how much of a smell of fire is left on you that's really an edge of bitterness or an edge of self-pity or an edge of God failed me? That's the smell of the fiery furnace still on you. But if both feature the in Christ and you say, my trust is in the one who, who delivers me. I'm not afraid of the ones who can harm the body because my soul will only be released to glory. Do, do you have that freedom? Do you have that peace? It's grown-up faith. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces. The ESV says torn limb from limb and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. He has said that before. Nebuchadnezzar's not changed yet. Let's wait till the next chapter and see what happens. He's still his kind of king. But he's recognizing the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the most high God, the true and living God. And he tells everybody else, recognize their God, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now we come to the application. What is our culture's idol? Well, I already gave it away in the prayer of confession. Did you notice that? You know, we say, the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Our world just dismisses, oh, Christians talk about people doing evil. The culmination of judges is, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's our culture's idol. It just makes, it, it, because we live in this culture, we're the fish in this fishbowl, it, it almost makes sense to us that we should just respect that, that everybody gets to do what's right in his own eyes. And it's given the label tolerance. And uh, that label tolerance is like a Trojan horse. Because if, if we think, well, let everybody do what's right in his own eyes, that means the church will not take up the sword and make people act like Christians. I get that. The church isn't given the power of the sword. The church is given the power of the gospel. And God can change hearts. But we don't go around forcing people. And that appeal of just, just be tolerant can be so appealing that we embrace it. But then like the Trojan horse, then the army comes out of the belly of the horse. And it says, our culture says, and if you don't worship the, the God, as soon as you say, but this is right and this is wrong because this is God's will. We won't let you do what's right in your eyes. You see, we thought when the culture embraced the, the value of let everyone do what's right in his own eyes, at least it would be let Christians be Christian. But we're moving into a stage where I think our culture is going to look at Christians who are committed to the Bible and say, that's hateful. And we won't allow you to be that way. In my tenure in ministry, I've had a culture that's been at least tolerant, if not largely supportive of Christians being committed to Christ and his word. 
The next generation may not have such a circumstance, but their faith may shine more brightly because of it. What are some practical illustrations of how this is working out? Just in the last month, the Virginia Senate passed a bill which would have not just established equality among, between the sexes, it would have destroyed any distinction between the sexes. And the, the House of Delegates did not allow it to pass. It was a resurrection of the old ERA amendment, which sounds so good, because we are all for equality. But no distinctions hits you know, you know, bathrooms. If there's a draft, then our, our daughters end up getting drafted along with our sons, etc., etc. It applies to churches where we will not tolerate churches that have male-only leadership. You'll lose your tax exemption. And all of a sudden, we feel we're being persecuted. Ah! Is losing our tax exemption really such a fiery furnace? If we can't stand that kind of pressure, then we're, we're sunk. A, a bigger issue perhaps is uh, now that the Supreme Court has established same-sex marriage as a constitutional right. At first, it's, will, you, will we be tolerant of others choosing their own way? And we can say, we're not going to take up the sword. We're called to love the sinners. We're, called, we're sinners. And, and there are all sorts of categories of sin. And as a church, we're called to reach out in that way. And so we say, oh, okay, okay. But then our culture turns and says, but if you don't say it's right and affirm it, if you don't bow down to everybody having the right to do this, we're coming after you. We have to register as pastors to do marriages. I really foresee the time that our state could say, you churches who won't marry same-sex couples, we'll make you burn for it in some way or another. We'll make you hurt a bit. That could come from our culture. But we with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can say, our trust is in the living God who can deliver us from this. Even if he does not, we're not going to bow down to that idol. And we don't go into great angst of soul. We have peace with God. We can be at peace with our world and say it's a privilege to stand for Christ in such a circumstance. And we will still love you. See, that's the victory. We will still love you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't go on the tirade against Nebuchadnezzar. They just didn't bow down to, to that idol. And God can deliver us from that. Over and over again, cultures look like it's completely lost, and then there's a great revival, a great renewal. Hearts are changed. So God can do that and save us on this side of the fiery furnace too. I even see on things that I, I thought would be uh, you know, cultural uh, acceptances, cultural affirmations, that God is at work bringing our culture back. Uh, in 1973, Two, I graduated from high school. In 1973, Roe v. Wade came before the Supreme Court, and the right to abortion was established for the whole nation. I remember thinking at that time that in 20 years, so many people would be through it, it would just be totally accepted, or it would be settled, and everybody would be at peace with it, and what are we going to do about that? And I saw that as a cause of persecution. Actually, that's turning around. Did you see some of the reports about the uh, March for Life? They were filled with, that, that march was 100,000 filled with young people, young women, 
There, there were those who, uh, a mother who had her son with her. And she said, 14 years ago, I considered abortion, but I decided against it. And the son said, it was because of God that my mother gave me life. Another, another one said, um, I, um, I've, I've had an abortion but I don't want my child to have died in vain because now I realize what it means. And I'm here because I want to share with others, choose life. And there are other young people that were there from universities and colleges saying, we love people, we love life, and we want to call people to love life. And it was a happy, a happy march. I didn't think that would be happening 40 years ago to see what's happening now. God can bring us back as a culture, but don't stake your lives on that. I'm being comfortable. Plant both feet with Christ and be willing to say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we trust in the one who can deliver us. He will deliver us from you. But even if he doesn't deliver us from a particular circumstance or pressure, we won't bow the knee uh, to the idols of our culture. Our trust is in the God who broke the power of sin and death and who sets eternal glory before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us that kind of faith. Give us grown-up faith. Give us both feet planted in Christ faith. Let us not uh, be stuck. Let us be honest when we are struggling. We have the angst because we are half-hearted. Let us be honest about that. But bring us to a mature faith where we are truly yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.